Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast, episode 15, the good, the bad, and the ranting. Welcome to the Grip Strip Podcast, episode 15, the good, the bad, and the ranting. Uh, I'm Phil Matthew. I'm here with my co-host, Joshua Fine. How are you doing, man? Doing great, Phil. Uh, we had a lot of uh, interesting things uh, happen recently in motorsports. A lot of news to talk about, and I'm ready to hear what you got to say. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, full disclosure, Skype doing its usual thing during, you know, COVID and other crap and effing with us. So if there's anything that you hear, there's anything wrong, then let us know because we're not trying to put out an inferior product. We're not like NASCAR. Um, we're, we're about putting good quality content out there. On tonight's episode, we're going to be talking about Formula One, British Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton wins again. NASCAR at New Hampshire, Brad Keselowski wins. And uh, so for me, that was a good weekend. Even the Colorado Avalanche won on Sunday night. So it was a really, I think I used up all my luck on Sunday, Josh. That's just me. But uh, after that, we're going to go into the GSP roundup, go over racing all over the world briefly, hit on some key events and news that has taken place all around the world of motorsport. Uh, then we'll get into Phil loses a shit uh, portion of the program, uh, which will talk about silly season news, mainly with NASCAR. Um, we'll kind of go and look for other series if there's anything out there. And uh, then we'll preview the 70th anniversary Grand Prix at uh, Silverstone, softer tires, softer compounds uh, this weekend. And uh, NASCAR in Michigan for two bore fests for the Cup Series and then the Truck Series race. And Road America for the Xfinity Series. And then we'll talk about Josh's uh, exploits in the 1987 Ford Thunderbird at Talladega, along with promoting everything that we're all about here on the GSP. And we will have a guest next week, so uh, stay tuned for who that guest will be. Uh, first up, we'll talk about the British Grand Prix for 50 laps. It was pretty uh, straightforward. Lewis Hamilton going and uh, dominating as Lewis Hamilton does. But then the last two ha- laps happened, and uh, uh, it looked like a bad year tire convention. Uh, what did you think of the British Grand Prix, Josh? Yeah, it was an interesting race, but at the end. But then, you know, was, for the most part, it was very procedural and it was very much your typical race. And, you know, we had a couple of incidents with um, Kevin Magnuson and Alexander Albon getting into it. And then we had uh, we had uh, uh, Daniel Kvyat get into it at the in the S's at Silverstone on his own. Um, and then at the very end, we saw Lewis Hamilton and Valtteri Bottas start to suffer some tire failures. And I think even uh, Max Verstappen got in uh, some issues of his own with the tires, but he was able to uh, avoid a failure. But then he ended up not winning the race. And, you know, it was very, uh, very much a Goodyear-esque uh, type of deal there at the end because you don't really see that too much in Formula 1 uh, these days. That's kind of something that we've seen over the years in NASCAR and and you know we've often criticized Goodyear for bringing a uh, crappy tire to the race, and they uh, often absolve themselves and say that it wasn't their fault; it was the teams pushing too hard. And that's exactly kind of what we heard from Pirelli. There, they are basically saying that the tires were um, being pushed too hard by the teams, that they were 
going excessively fast for what the tire was supposed to be and they um basically said yeah like we it's the team's fault and you know i don't really agree with that i think you know pirelli's got to do a better job and you know hopefully this weekend they bring a softer tire rather than the hard tire that they brought uh to silverstone but if they do decide to stick with the hard tire i assume that the teams now that they know what will happen maybe they'll change their strategy a little bit to avoid those failures and maybe they'll try to um plan their pit stops around that um so they don't go beyond that line or they can go as close to that line as possible without um uh crossing it uh, but we'll see yeah, that's great points all all through that deal, Josh. I mean, the fact that uh, Pirelli kind of passed the buck is something that usually they're not known for. Uh, they usually kind of have, they've been blamed a lot. People blame Pirelli, even though uh, the troll Bernie Ecclestone asked him, asked them to make what would be considered softer tires that would wear more, that would allow for a little more strategy and more pit stops since Bridgestone by the end of their time in as the sole tire supplier was basically uh, making rocks that would never wear and they'd have one stop races. Um, I mean, these things do happen once in a while. And I mean, 2013 British Grand Prix, this happened as well. And some of the YouTubers, the talk about F1, we're bringing that up, and it's it's unfortunate what happened. You brought up Kvyat; uh, he had a tire failure in Maggots and Beckett's there, and that was a sudden failure. He goes and hits a curb and just wipes out, and hits the fence, and that was like a NASCAR caution too, because it took eight laps for them under the safety car or five or six or I don't know it was a ridiculous long time to clear uh Kvyat's car because they don't have as many people at the racetrack because of COVID so they had a longer time to clear it it was in a in a spot where generally they don't have big accidents and that was a huge accident uh you brought up the Kevin Magnuson deal early with Alex Albon who was buried because he's having problems with his car again uh, he went for the it's the it's the Senna quote everyone likes to use. If you don't if you if you don't go for a gap, you're no longer a racing driver. Albon went for that gap. It wasn't open long enough for it to justify. Kevin Magnuson was trying to make his angle, taking a wide line, takes him out, takes him, gets taken out, which kind of screwed up Haas's or Haas if you're uh, British. Uh, strategy because they put Grosjean out there who became a moving chicane and got uh, penalized for his moves uh, blocking. So, I mean, definitely the race, if you're somebody who wants to see tons of action, it didn't lack, it it definitely lacked in the front. Uh, There was some decent uh, battling in the midfield, but the reality is when you consider how close the midfield is and that virtually everyone was on that hard tire and they were going to have to run the last 40 laps of the race on that tire, which was basically the maximum Pirelli had said they could do. It was going to be a problem and unfortunately became one. Lewis came across the line on three tires. Max Verstappen had cuts in the tire based on what uh what what the hell is his name the um 
Christian Warner said. So they would have had the same failure based on what he's saying as the two Mercedes, which would have which would have ended up giving the win to um, Charles Leclerc, which would have been insane, um, considering how crappy the Ferrari is. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo probably would have finished second under that logic, too. So that would have been something. But, um, yeah, Lewis Hamilton going out there winning the British Grand Prix uh, there's, is, is not shocking. The pace he had qualifying on pole and all, all that was, um, you know, really, really uh, high performance. He was able to go and uh, beat uh, Botas for pole at a pretty high, uh, pretty good clip. And so we will see. Um, in terms of other other things to take away, we... I think the main thing that came up was Max Verstappen. He did stop. Um, the notion was if he hadn't stopped, would he have won? Do you think even, I mean, I guess considering what we've heard now after the fact, there's a high likelihood he would have had that same explosion as, as you know, as Lewis had, as Botas had, as... Um, uh, Carlos signs, even Kimi Raikkonen did. Um, was that the wrong call to go and make that pit stop there in the end? Well, it's hard to say. Um, you know, definitely still with a first place finish or second place finish, you know, still a solid uh, run there at the end, and they were able to take the free pit stop and get the fastest lap. And but then you also have to weigh with how much uh, points they are still behind um, in the championship. Uh, with with Hamilton, you know they're like 36 points or whatever behind Hamilton, and it proves that their um, DNF that they had in Austria in Austria was is still costly and would have um, helped them close the gap if they had won today or won at uh, Silverstone. And um, yeah, you know you have to kind of balance that and figure: Do you take the um, you know like is the risk greater than the reward? And I guess for them, they felt like that maybe there was maybe a little bit too much risk there that they um, would have uh, taken there if they had gambled on, uh, you know, not pitting and trying to overtake Hamilton for the win. And if they did, it would have been a great sight to see. But, you know, you just don't know what will happen. You know, they could have blown out a tire and then lost the race there if, you know, whether or not it happens before they pass Lewis, hypothetically speaking, of course, or not. Um, but you know, I'm I'm not sure really. You know, it's it's just tough to say what, whether or not that would have happened. And you just have to question like if they were close enough, um, where they could have made up that time it um, by not pitting, um, or not. But in the end, they decide to pit, and they end up with just a second. Yeah, and and that's it's a good point there. You're they were not on pace. They Max Verstappen had enough time to tell his engineer to go and make sure to hydrate. Um, the reality is he was in his own planet during once they stopped with the RG Bargy with the two uh, safety cars um, for your um, GSP bingo RG Bargy is a part of that um, because I love when Calvin Fish says RG Bargy. But 
you look at Max Verstappen, they didn't have the ultimate pace uh, during the race to even stay with, with Botas. And Botas was having even bigger problems with his tires than Lewis. They were all having that same wear. And But the irony in that is that the wear was more on the right side than it was on the left. And the left front tires are the ones that exploded for all of these guys except Kvyat, who had a left rear tire failure. So it might have been a left-side construction issue uh, because that's where all the failures happen, something that Pirelli has to take into account considering they're going to go to a bunch of new circuits here with this uh, new calendar that we're going to have with COVID. I mean, Max Verstappen definitely, as you said, the, the DNF, in the first race of the season at Austria basically has set any chance that he had of winning this world championship back. Um, the, at the same token, the issues that Valtteri Botas had on Sunday falling from second to 11 has now left him 30 points behind Lewis Hamilton. And, um, you know, when you consider a guy who's won six world champion or, He's won six world championships, and he's learned how this points deal works. I have a very hard time believing that uh, on a week-to-week basis that Valtteri Bottas is going to be able to beat Lewis Hamilton, even in the same car. Uh, so the notion would be he's screwed, and so is Max Verstappen. And those are really the only two guys that have any chance to try to beat Lewis Hamilton or keep Lewis Hamilton out of his uh, tying Michael Schumacher for a seventh World Drivers' Championship. And now he's only four wins away from from tying uh, Michael Schumacher and win as well. Uh, the last thing we'll go over is the midfield. You know, we talked about the results, Hamilton, Verstappen, Leclerc, Ricardo, Norris, Ocon, so two Renaults in the top six, Gasly, great run, for the Alpha Tori from 11th. Albon from 12th to 8th. He got sent all the way to the back. They went and did some strategy, got him all the way through into the points. Uh, the tracing points had a brutal weekend. Uh, Stroll looked like a ride buyer, uh, couldn't do anything. Sebastian Vettel barely held on to 10th in a nightmare weekend for him as well. Um, the George Russell got penalties for in qualifying, but he had qualified, made Q2 again, drove all the way up into 12th, uh, splitting the uh, two guys that had the big tire failures at the end there. Uh, you go and look at Latifi, who's basically the worst driver on the grid. Um, Grosjean, who did an alternative strategy and it didn't work. Raikkonen, who blew a tire and then had a wing failure or wing failure that led to a blown tire and then the three guys that didn't finish including Nico Hulkenberg who got called I think like hours before first practice after Sergio Perez's COVID uh, positive test and gets through the weekend has problems in qualifying and then doesn't even start the Grand Prix um, yeah you talk about Renault you look at Ferrari out they're bad off but Charles Leclerc gets another podium with a car that's definitely basically a paperweight on wheels. Um, the Renaults going and doing what they did. Daniel Ricciardo 
uh, on his way out of there, is uh, battling his future teammate Lando Norris and Esteban Ocon making something of the day. Uh, it's definitely an interesting battle in the midfield and also with tracing points struggling for sure. Um, what did you take away from the those midfield teams uh, as who really stood out to you uh, that made a good performance and maybe who needs to make uh, some improvements? Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, you know, with the midfield cars, you know, you have to give a shout out to Leclerc. I guess you have to consider Ferrari kind of a midfield car now. And, you know, you don't really expect them to finish that well, um, considering how their season is going now. And the fact that he was able to get into a third place podium um, is a good race for him uh, to have. Um, and although what's clearly looking like a lost season, then you contrast that with uh, Sebastian Vettel. You know, he was kind of mired in mid-pack all day, and, you know, he had a um, couple of battles uh, in the middle of the race with um, the, I think it was one of the racing point cars with um, Sergio Perez, I think, or no, no, sorry, not with Perez, but with uh, Stroll. Um, and uh, then you have to also uh, throw it to uh, Ricardo, um, getting a good race and uh, fourth, and even even uh, Alex Albon with uh, some of the incidents that he had. Yeah, I saw he had a couple of fast laps uh, in the middle of the race and ended up getting an eighth place. Um, so I thought that was a good finish for him. And even even the um, one tracing point car with uh, Ocon or with um, sorry with uh, with Stroll. Yeah, with Stroll. Even even he had some interesting moments that I saw um, battling um, with, I think, with um, Albon. Even uh, Pierre Gasly, uh, seventh place finish for him, um, which is good in that AlphaTauri car. And, and also, um, yeah, with uh, Esteban Ocon as well. You know, he had um, some some uh, battle there at the middle of the race um, with uh, with Vettel, and then he ended up getting a sixth place finish. So it was a little bit of a different running order than what we've seen um, so far this season uh, in the midfield. But you know, with uh, how kind of with how the tire wear uh, was, you know, that's kind of what you expect. Yeah, absolutely. You, I, I would give a, I'd give a shout out to Signs because he was running up there. He had fourth on merit. Uh, he was going to finish there, and then he has that ex- that tire explode, and he got he's gotten screwed. The there it's something you know the the dynamic at McLaren's great. They have a lot of good positive things going on, but it seems like Signs usually gets the bad luck more recently than uh, Lando. Lando, I think, at the start of last year was getting that bad luck, so it's kind of shifted the other way. And then you add the notion that Ferrari sucks and he's going to be going to Ferrari. It's kind of a bad uh, deal for Carlos Sainz. But, um, yeah, the Renaults performing uh, was something to me. Daniel Ricciardo performing, whatever. He's basically my other driver um, in F1, and he's got the talent and ability. The fact that he's never he was at Red Bull and they decided to, you know, Hitched their wagon to Max, it makes sense because he's going to be rel- around for a long time. But, you know, getting rid of a guy who's great for PR, great. He's probably one of the most popular drivers, if not the most popular driver in the paddock. Um, getting a fourth place finish in a car that definitely isn't a car that would usually be up there. Big deal. Big points for Renault. Alfa Torre getting some points as well. 
uh, Kvyat goes and wrecks, but then uh, Gasly uh, salvages the tracing point. Having a bad weekend when you consider their qualifying pace was better than that. Um, Perez not being there was a big deal. It shows how big of a deal um, Perez being there is. You know, I mean, no offense to Nico Hulkenberg. He literally got thrown in the car hours before the race, before the race weekend. For as good of a driver as Nico Hulkenberg has been over the years, you're asking a lot to have somebody show up off the street and uh, jump into a Formula One car. So we will see if a little bit of sim time and some other things have been put into place, how the tracing points will do this weekend at... uh, Silverstone. We will move forward into the NASCAR Cup Series event at New Hampshire. It was the Foxwoods Resort Casino 301, and Brad Keselowski uh, won his 33rd career Cup Series race. 55 wins for Team Penske, which is the all-time record for any driver who's been employed by uh, the captain led to 184 laps, and uh, I think he won a stage, it looks like there. Uh, beat Denny Hamlin, who was basically, it was those two guys that dominated this field. Truex, Logano, Kevin Harvick, um, Matthew Benedetto, a momentum uh, run there for the 21 team. They have a cool uh, throwback at Darlington coming. Eric Almirola, 7th, Cole Custer, 8th. Chase Elliott ninth, Tyler Reddick in ten. Uh, we'll first uh, go into what do you take? What were your thoughts of the uh, race at New Hampshire uh, this weekend, Josh? I mean, I got to say that PJ one actually was applied properly, and uh, you know they think the bad year actually showed up with a decent tire pool. Yeah, it was surprisingly, it was actually a um, very good New Hampshire um, sprint or monster cup, NASCAR cup race that um, we saw there on Sunday. And, and you know, you have to go back to 2018 and 2019 last year. I mean, even even with the high downforce package they had last year, um, the PJ1 actually, for whatever reason, it works at New Hampshire. Um for whatever reason, I don't know if it's because of the. I mean, New Hampshire does have uh, progressive banking, but it's you know very minuscule because um, um, it basically goes from like zero to like um, I don't know like twelve degrees or something. It's very very minuscule, and but uh, still though, it was a very uh, very good race, and and you're able to see drivers uh, either you know take the low line right on the yellow line or even below it and make a run um to try to make up time and then and then you saw other guys like try to defend or or um, at least build speed by going taking the middle line or i guess um the high line in that case and it was a very uh um entertaining afternoon as far as as far as that goes and it was able to at least per um you saw passing throughout the um, mid portion of the field, and then you actually saw lead changes um, and variation, and and who was leading that race um, throughout uh, that entire run, and and um, there was not a lot of um, I guess cautions that you know caused restarts and everything, and we were actually able to kind of see strategies kind of play out towards the end, and and even though um, 
with um, there was, I mean, there were some cautions at the uh, at the end that um, kind of set them up for a very, very long uh, green flag run, and it kind of left you wondering at the end if they were even going to have enough fuel to make it. But you know, they were able to save uh, enough gas there uh, to make it to the end without anybody having any issues. Um, so just from a, a racing standpoint, it was actually um, very thrilling, and you wonder like um, how. Um, the contrast of this compared to what we've seen um, so far this season on the the mile and a halfs and the larger speedways, like if um, you know maybe if they'll change their mind or or influence how they uh, go about for next year, um, as the, this is going to be the next year will be the final year with uh, the Gen Six configuration, and they go on to the next gen in 2022. Uh, so just from that alone is very good, and then of course. Keselowski was able to take the uh, dominant um, performance of the race, and he was just able to um, really show that he's probably the other driver they have to consider besides uh, Hamlin and uh, Kevin Harvick. And it was definitely a um, what they needed to uh, to prove that, and I guess um, even prove that he's deserving of a contract extension, as we saw um, happen this week as well. So just from all of that, it was a very thrilling and enjoyable race at New Hampshire. Yeah, I mean, people complain about New Hampshire. It's like a regular thing. They're like, oh, it's boring. Well, uh, the Northeast gets nailed. Um, They've been abused. They take away races. They've made Pocono a doubleheader. They are going to take away a race from Dover uh, starting next year to run at a crappy one-and-a-half-mile or 1.33-mile shitty cookie cutter dump that never put on a decent race um new hampshire lost a date to las vegas uh, you know at some point at Watkins Glen's one of the best races of the year every year and it's one of the most beautiful places in the whole entire country let alone on the circuit uh you know the northeast has been getting abused for races but this new hampshire race was awesome um Personal bias aside, the battle between Keselowski and Hamlin, two horse tooth jackasses, was great. Um, it's it's good to see that the 750 package works. Um, it's been able to work on these short tracks and actually provide a decent racing, uh, decent finishes. So, I mean, I'm curious to see what it'll do at, at, at Richmond during the uh, Chase, I, I, I'm curious to see what it'll look like at Bristol because it'll be the night race. And based on the all-star race, I don't know how good that's going to be. It wasn't very good in the all-star race, so they're probably not going to make many changes. Um, Darlington's a 550 race, so that's kind of going to suck, but at least the paint schemes will make up for it. The, the deal is the 750 package. If you're going to tell me one of the two packages is there, run that if you want to run 550 at the at daytona it makes sense talladega fine you want to run 550 at certain tracks because of safety and insurance concerns okay fine you can run seven you can run 750 at some of these cookie cutters you can run 750 at darlington you can run 750 at pocono um, I guess both, well, maybe Pocono is part of the problem. Let's run 550, but 
It, I, I honestly, it was something. It was a decent, really solid race. Uh, some of the guys that stood out there, I mean, Di Benedetto, he's on the playoff uh, cutoff there. You have Reddick, who's on the outside looking in. Byron and Johnson, who were also out there, 11th and 12th. JTG Doherty actually had two cars finished for once, and both of them were were relatively decent and, you know, Richard in 14th and, and uh, Ryan Priest in 16th. Uh, Michael McDowell, another top 20. Blaney, uh, yet again, uh, doesn't get a finish. He ran up front, doesn't get a finish. Christopher Bell, uh, the precursor to what some of the news we'll talk about later, uh, gets stage points, uh, finishes fourth in stage one and then the bottom falls out on him with cut tires and speaking of cut tires kyle bush cuts a tire 15 laps into the race and hits the fence finishes dead last um mac kenseth calls the 100 cautions or something and uh finished next to last and uh finally got chad johnston sent to purgatory uh for all people who have been a fan of the 42 car or, or know chad johnston's exploits or lack thereof um, he is a tony stewart fan he sucked as tony stewart's crew chief so the fact that he got fired um doesn't surprise me the fact that cheap kept him around as long as he did uh kind of shows how little cheap does care about nascar um, you made a reference to it, Josh, earlier um, in your uh, recap there. You said that uh, Brad is basically the only other guy. Uh, I would also look at Truex. I mean, I think Truex has been up there. He's been relatively consistent. Not as good as he was, you know, 2017. Six, I think 2016-18 was probably going to be the peak of Martin Truex's career. But even last year, he got to Homestead and probably had a really good shot to win a second championship. He's up there. Um, who is there anybody that can really stop one of these four, whether it's Tarvik, Hamlin, Keselowski, or Truex from winning a championship? And, you know, just for argument's sake, just throwing out somebody who, even if you don't think so, like, who would just for whatever would you think uh, could go and, and and do something here once we get into the uh, chase here in uh, sep- uh, September. Well, you kind of have to look at like the people who have won this year, and you're also going to have to also look at um, you know who's led uh, laps this year in the you know the most amount of laps, and and even though he has been kind of cold here since we've returned. You might have to go back to Joey Logano um, as somebody that could potentially be a threat. And someone also like uh, Chase Elliott, who hasn't, you know, he hasn't had the the wins um, like those guys, but he's kind of been up there and just hasn't had the finish. I mean, for both of them, really, Um, you know, Logano, like he did have those two wins early in the season. So maybe it's possible that they are able to, find their form again once um, the playoffs start and they go on a tear, I guess. It's certainly possible. I mean, they did win at Phoenix, so you can't quite count them out yet um, as long as they're there. 
and and um, Elliot's kind of been the flagship um, car for Chevrolet the past couple of seasons. So you know that at least uh, you can probably um, count him up until the Elite Eight, and then um, I think after that is a question if um, he'll still be there for the um, playoffs, but. I think those are the two drivers that you have to kind of consider, um, even though they're not quite as um, contending or dominant, but at least you can, you know, there are portions of the race where, you know, they're up there contending, but then something happens or they, um, you know, have bad luck or whatever. But I'm, you know, those are, those are the guys that I would maybe have to consider. Yeah, those are definitely, I mean, Two solid picks. You consider the the performance of Joey Logano and Paul Wolf and that whole team and this whole switch that they did at Penske Racing, where it shows that every team has benefited. Honestly, every driver has benefited from a, a performance gain. And uh, you know, if Logano can figure it out, he is a champion too. It's hard to go and bet against a guy of his talent and skill with a crew chief who's one of the best in the business. Chase Elliott has never gotten uh, past the Elite Eight. He is probably one of, if not the only Chevy that probably has a theoretical shot. Hendrick had a brutal, um, basically mediocre, throwaway even or day at uh, New Hampshire. When you look at 9th, 11th, 12th, and Alex Bowman in 15th. So it, it's, it, it's something Chevys are in trouble uh, in general in terms of performance. Ford has uh, been up front. Toyota is not as prolific as they were last year, even for the last few years, but they're up there with Hamlin and Truex. Um, you know, Kyle Busch could wreck. He's accumulated enough points, gets enough stage points, where for as bad as it may be going, Kyle Busch is going to be there. And, and you pick Logano, you pick Chase Elliott. It's, it's chalk in a sense. He's a defending Cup Series champion. Guys won eight trillion races. I'll never count out Kyle Busch until he's eliminated there's just no way that somebody like him with the crew chief like he has at adam stevens is gonna be somebody that's gonna go one and done um it, it it's got i just have this feeling that he he's gonna switch it on he's gonna go out at darlington run some crappy scheme that probably isn't a throwback and and go and win the southern 500 and get locked into the second round then go and win one of the second round races then then go and win whatever one of the third round races and win phoenix and win the championship like you don't have to as long as you make it it doesn't matter how good you may have been in the season it's kind of got a hockey um aspect to that that's what this uh, nascar chase playoff thing is now so we will see what happens with that as we move forward um the next thing we will do is go into the gsp roundup 
I don't know why. Yeah. Um, or before that, was there any anything else that came up to you other than like the bush and the fence and uh, some of the other like some of the issues that came up? Was there anything that came up during the race that surprised you? or performances that surprised you, good or bad? Uh, I think, you know, you have to kind of highlight the Benedetto. I mean, I think you already did talk about him. I mean, Reddick had a good run, finishing 10th. Like, he was, um, I mean, I was watching the end of that race, and there was, like, a little battle between Reddick, Byron, Johnson um, for, like, that last spot. And, uh, you know, Reddick was able to, uh, past those guys and I, I thought that was impressive the way uh, how that turned out and then I think Johnson was um in the top 10 and then he fall out of the top 10 and ended up in 12th and it was a um, kind of a interesting battle to end the day but you know that factors into um the other side of the playoff uh grid at the very end and who fills up that uh part and it looks like I mean even though Jimmy Johnson had a okay day um He's still very much behind, and it's going to take a lot for him to even get back into contention. And same thing for Tyler Reddick. He had a, a solid day, but he's going to um, have to continue to point his way in, or he's going to have to figure out a way to win in order to get in, I think. Yeah, the point the points battle is, in all three major NASCAR series, it's kind of... It, it, the points, the, the drivers that are in on points right now, um, unless somebody comes out from behind and wins, they're basically uh, in and they don't have to really think about it. And um, I mean, even in the case of the Cup Series, I, I definitely agree with the two picks you had with Matthew Benedetto, who needed a good run. Reddick, who, who getting another good run at least cuts that gap. Get, uh, Reddick has actually put himself into the playoff right now. Byron moved up to 14th. Uh, he is he is uh, a, at uh, what 15 points ahead of Reddick, who's 15th. Austin Dillon, who's already locked in, um, is in, and then uh, yeah. Jimmy Johnson, he's on the outside looking in. Eric Jones, who's somebody we're going to discuss here in a little bit. Uh, he's outside. Yeah, William Byron, or no, William Byron is is the last one. So 15 points to Tyler Reddick, an additional 10 points, so 25 points for the gap between Byron and Johnson, and then 31 points between William Byron and Eric Jones a former uh, Southern 500 winner, but if you're not in the playoff, it doesn't really matter. Uh, Michael McDowell is actually 20th in the driver's points. Uh, stranger, strange things have happened in 2020, and that's definitely one of them. Uh, we'll move on to the GSP roundup uh, this week. We're going over a whole lot of stuff. First thing we'll do is talk about the IMSA race at Road America, which was... Uh, quite a roller coaster uh, event in, of emotions. You had dry, wet, wet. You had dry and then wet and dry and then wet. Lots of, of lead changes and craziness and spins and wrecks and 
all all of the above that uh, took place at uh, at Road America, and uh, it it saw Elio Castroneves and Ricky Taylor finally get a win for the accurate team Penske uh, group, and uh, you also had you also had uh, the Corvette Jordan Taylor one in the uh, Corvette, the new mid-end Corvette C8. Uh, you go and uh, look at that. Um, uh, yeah, you got Antonio Garcia and uh, Jordan Taylor wins that. And then you have the uh, GTD, which the Lexus uh, AIM Vassar Sullivan team has dominated post-COVID. Uh, they have been on a different level since uh, they returned uh, to say the least and then Ben Hanley and Hendrick Hedman won uh, one in the LMP2 class for Dragon Speed so um, that was an interesting race they're going to be running um, a race here uh, to I think the next race is going to be I have to find out but the fact is, uh, were you able to catch the IMSA racer, Josh? Or you have anything uh, throw in on there before we go into the Indy cars? No, actually, I wasn't able to catch that race. Um, but um, I, I do think it's interesting how uh, you know two drivers from the same family um, ended up winning in in separate classes. Um, shows you that it's a very uh, interesting stat. Um, certainly, yeah. there's not a lot of. Um, families i guess that drive you know for each other and they go to uh, um other classes but you know if that happens again i have no idea if that will but um you know it's a, a good day for that family yeah the taylor family going and winning at road america finally that was one interesting stat that came up during uh the post race it's the first time that considering wayne taylor's like like 180 years old and he ran there I think he was with Zeus when they first built Road America, and uh, they and he's ran there all these different types of cars. And he never won there, but then Ricky goes and wins in the prototype. Jordan wins in the in the GT LM. So that was a big deal. Uh, the Indy cars, we've had a lot of news, and mostly it's been bad. Cancellations and the most recent news, no fans for the Indianapolis 500 or the whole entire month of uh, whatever, the, the week and a half or two weeks of August. Um, and then also Mid-Ohio got canceled because of COVID. And so, I mean, where does this leave IndyCar in general? I mean, they have to make up another two races. They're running out of options, Josh. I don't, and I don't know where they're going to go uh, to make a calendar uh, here because they had to cancel Laguna Seca. They had to cancel Portland. Um, I think probably they'd be able to go to Portland now, but it's probably too dangerous because of you know the way COVID's kind of picked up again. Uh, it's not as much a fact of the uh, uh, you know policing of uh, or excessive force kind of deal. Um, what were your thoughts when you heard that the Indy 500 is going to be without fans? Uh, honestly, I kind of wasn't surprised. 
that they were going to cancel it because um, I guess with the way that the trends are going right now and um, across the country and even in uh, Marion County where the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is located, uh, I think they had a number of like 5% uh, of cases that they uh, among that population that they had at the time that they announced that they were going to do um, that amount of fans, um, 60 percent or no sorry that's 60,000 fans and at 25 percent capacity um at the 250,000 uh, seat uh facility in Indianapolis Motor Speedway and uh it was a uh, very um surprising to see them say that they were going to have that many fans um given the conditions uh currently in the United States but now that they've canceled um, I'm not surprised because um, it just seemed like it was going to be too ambitious. Um, even though if there's a guy that you think could pull it off, it would be Roger Penske. Um, although I think if they were going to shoot for some number of fans, I I would have said maybe like 10,000 or something like that, um, which I think is maybe more manageable for IMS um, given the seating capacity. Uh, but you still have to wonder, I mean, it's the most popular race in the world and there's going to be people coming in from all over the country and all over the world um, even. And, um, you know, that's um, just not um, a, a good thing to happen. Um, even even if people follow all the guidelines, there's just uh, a lot on the line. So it's disappointing to see uh, that happen. But, you know, there's always next year for the fans, and we'll just have to all watch from home on TV. Yeah, it's unfortunate that certain people have not taken it seriously and uh, think it's a joke, and it's probably why it's taken, why we're kind of getting into this, quote, second wave of COVID. Um, It's probably a lot more of a first wave with uh, dumb fucks um, just going and doing dumb things which is why the Indianapolis 500 is going to have no fans. So the Indianapolis 500 is going to look like a Brickyard 400, at least in the stands. Uh, The racing itself hopefully will be better after a couple of years, some R&D, the tires may be wearing a little bit. Maybe they make some adjustments aero-wise. It won't be the kind of like slipstream uh, restrictor plate kind of derbies that existed with the aero kit. Wars of a few uh, of a few years ago, but uh, we will see what happens with that. It's a, it's unfortunate, but as long as the race comes off, then you know. I mean, Roger Penske is basically invested. He knows that he's going to lose a lot of money this year, but the long term is as long as they run Indy and they get the promotion and they get the cars and the teams out there, uh, they'll hopefully be able to recoup some of those uh, lost uh, benefits that they would have had this year at a regular month of May. Um, just a little uh, tidbit that's come up on, uh, you have David Malsher, motorsport.com, is uh, saying there's three drivers in line for a third coin car at uh, Indianapolis Royal Soviet, James Davison, and Stefan Wilson are all in line for the possibility of taking that third coin car for the Indy only um, car that they'll run there with uh, uh, Santucci and uh, Alex below. Um, 
going to the uh, V8 supercars. We'll be running at Hidden Valley this week. There's issues with uh, people crossing different borders there. One of the the race directors not going to even be allowed. He won't be. He'll he'll be missing the next two weeks. So that's something the Darwin round. So I mean, it's definitely crazy. It's even affecting things. I mean, it's affecting things all around the world. Uh, the borders, even having to manage the borders, even in Australia, which is a tiny, tiny country relative to. You know, obviously, with what we have to deal with here in the United States, it's, it's crazy. Um, the Victoria border closed nearly a month ago. They're hoping that they would be able to make exemptions. They couldn't do it. Uh, but, you know, I think uh, we have to look at DJR Team Penske. We have to look at the uh, Holden Team HRT Red Bull uh, group there. It's going to be the usual suspects, though. We have seen even post-COVID some of the some teams outside of the big the big duo that has existed here in recent years of uh, Virgin Atlantic Supercars uh, will have um, will have uh, their opportunities. There's been issues though with COVID and. Uh, uh, either people, teams, whatever, being affected uh, due to things in Queensland. So keep that in mind. See what happens uh, for V8 supercars uh, coming up. Uh, keep on going here. MotoGP at Verno uh, will not include multiple world champion, Mark, six-time world champion Mark Marquez. He will miss yet another race in the MotoGP championship, which gives Fabio Quattararo an opportunity to possibly uh, go and increase his points lead at the Czech Grand Prix. Stefan Brattle, former uh, Moto2 champion, will be in, on the bike uh, teaming with Alex Marquez. Verno uh, is one of his best circuits for Brattle, but uh, I'm sure it won't be anything like Mark Marquez being on the bike, but uh, we will see who is able to give Quattararo any trouble. Can uh, Maverick Vinales finally win, uh, cut into that points lead? That's something we will find out. Can possibly, can the doctor, can the GOAT, uh, Valentino Rossi, uh, win his first race in, since uh, a- uh, Acid a few years back? That would be a big deal here. Um, in uh, crazy 2020 world superbike ran at her uh this past weekend they'll be running at uh, the algarve in portugal portamao circuit where formula one will be making their debut later this year uh they had two races uh, scott redding for ducati uh, won both rounds and uh garrett gerloff scored points the american rider is running for the yamaha junior team so keep an eye on him uh hopefully eventually in time he'll be able to build himself up the same way as colin edwards did uh in his heyday to go and be a world championship contender uh in the world superbike championship it's a little closer in terms of the overall 
field. I mean, the Kawasaki's aren't as prolific as they have been in recent years. You have other factory participation. Of course, Ducati has been there forever. You have Honda back, Yamaha's there, BMW. So um, relatively interesting. We will see what happens at uh, Portimao. Uh, DTM ran at Spa for their uh, opening round of their uh, championship, the the level, whatever the tier one, level one, whatever they run, whatever they call their um, their uh, rules package. Uh, definitely left there with little to no options for keeping the series going, uh, but they ran at uh, Spa and uh, saw it saw in terms of the winner, Rene Rast won for Audi, Nico Muller second, Robin Freins third, Audi swept the top five positions. The first BMW was Sheldon Vanderlinde in sixth. And then you had, uh, I mean, there's only two manufacturers. So uh, 16 cars ran. Harrison Newey was the only car that fell out. Robert Kubica, there Ferdinand Habsburg, there in the back, Timo Glocksmith, people you go and look at multiple world champ, multiple DTM champion, Loic Duval finished till mid pack. So yeah, we will see what DTM uh, looks like. Their next race will be at Lausitz Ring in a couple weeks' time. Moving on to British Touring Car Championship. Uh, they're running at Brands Hatch this weekend. Uh, they had races prior to COVID. It was canceled, it looks like, but news. So, Dan Camish, Ash Sutton, and Colin Turkington. What it looks like. Yeah, we have that. Yeah, so those are the three winners at uh, at uh, Donington Park last uh, week. There, Colin Turkington, multiple uh, BTCC champion, uh, gets uh, another win there. Infinity gets their first win in the Touring Car Championship. Nissan used to be in there, so. Um, there is that. Uh, you have anything to throw in on some of the uh, series we had we talked about before? I got a couple other ones. We got Super GT coming back this weekend. It'll be a Toyota benefit. Formula E is starting up tomorrow. We're doing this on Tuesday night. Um, it'll be on Wednesday. It'll be the first of six races in their bubble at uh, Berlin. Um, I think the Next piece is Alex LeBay, and I guess I'll throw to you, Josh. What did you, when you heard that Alex LeBay was testing what amounted to an Xfinity car on bad year tires at the Daytona Road Course, what were your initial thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I thought when I saw that, that was like a, you know, circumnavigating the rules kind of thing where they found a gray area, I guess, in the rules and they went and just labeled their car as an SSCA car and or SCCA car, and they were able to um, do some testing and get some hot laps in. 
Um, unfortunately, they get a penalty for that, and NASCAR um, hands them with a pretty hefty fine. I think Alex LeBay has uh, minus uh, 75 points on onto his uh, uh, penalty, and um, yeah. and I think uh, I don't know if the crew chief got suspended or not, but he also I think they got a fine on the owner points as well. Um, yeah, but you know it's um it's interesting to see how that played out. I mean, he's getting uh, I guess he's unfairly getting an advantage but then um you know i'm i'm pretty sure there are other drivers who have um done racing in other series i mean chase didn't chase briscoe he um is scheduled to drive somewhere else in a um the imsa series i think for another team yeah he ran at road america last weekend in a gt4 mustang actually yeah, yeah, and and then they're going to be racing there this weekend. Um, you know, I don't know. Are they going to put a penalty on him? I'm pretty sure if they did, they'd be very unpopular. And uh, if they did, but it's um, you know, with the uniqueness of the season, um, you know, somebody had to try to do something to try to get track time, and they're the ones that have to pay the penalty, I guess. But um, I mean, I I don't really like that they did get a penalty, but um, you know. That's how it has to go, I guess. You know, it's NASCAR. It's they they they'll go and use the the small teams to go and and make an example out of to go and kind of mess with the big teams and go and say, hey, don't do this. We know that it's kind of you know they found out a gray area and, and it's like when you consider Mario Goslin, you consider Alex LeBay, that team doesn't have a whole lot of funding you have a team that needs that struggles um, most weeks to do something to go and basically throw the book at them um, if it doesn't put that car in a position where it's not able to show up every week without some sort of ride buyer um, they're gonna have a very hard time I don't I honestly don't buy that Alex LeBay running the road course, whether he was it was an SCCA sanctioned thing, whether I don't know, I believe he was on bad year tires, so that might have been part of it. The fact that he was running an Xfinity car that was a steel car, you know, it, it, it's it's much ado about nothing when you consider it's the the team. I mean, Alex LeBay is a great road racer he won cascar he won the canadian tire championship he's a really solid racer and he's great on the road courses in general um they didn't probably need to have that test it wasn't going to make that big of a difference unless it rains i have a very hard time believing that a smaller team is going to be able to win uh, at one of these road course races and considering with the lightning policy that exists in sport and in NASCAR, uh, it's going to be very difficult in August twice to be able to run out there uh, without having uh, issues with thunderstorms and all that. Uh, The last uh, thing is NHRA is going to run Indy again uh, this week, but the biggest, bigger news than all of that is John Force racing is done for the year. Um, I think it kind of leads to what we're going to talk about here in a moment, Josh, but uh, John Force Racing not running the rest of the year, basically giving DSR, uh, you look at uh, 
what's his name, uh, the Capco car, Steve Torrance, uh, given a big opportunity to those guys to go and win another championship for sure. Uh, definitely disappointing to see John Force Racing not running. Yeah, um, it's definitely going to be a without John Force Racing this year. I think it's definitely um, going to be a different look, but I mean, they'll come back next year. Um, stronger i guess um they'll i guess they'll have time to prepare for next year and and um they'll just have to sit on the sidelines but um you know he's definitely been a a namesake in in uh nhra for a very very long time so it's going to be uh different from him uh without him this season but they'll carry on um and they'll go on at indy this weekend again and finish up uh what they uh, hopefully what they were doing from the last time they were in Indy, and, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, absolutely. It's disappointing when you consider you have Brittany Forrest, and she's one of the fan favorites. Austin Proc, who's one of the young guns in this sport. Robert Hyde, who's one of the best drivers, period. And, of course, John Force isn't getting any younger. Um, he's been on fire from here to Australia, didn't prepare him to to raise girls and if he didn't if he isn't driving i don't know what's gonna happen and he's not gonna be in a race car at least uh rate on on a race day until you know pomona in february so it's very disappointing for john force racing um yeah we'll go to the next piece uh, which is silly season, which is the rant part. Um, if you held on here for this first uh, hour or so of the program, uh, you're going to get your payoff here. I, I mean, I honestly believe we've done some good uh, conversation here so far, but if you want some craziness, I think this is where it's going to come. I've got a few bullet points here. Uh, Bob Levine basically said that um, he's done today. Uh, he sold to what is rumored to be the Spire team. So Spire is basically uh, the acquisition group of Toyo of teams that are left dead by uh, JGR TRD um, and the stupidity of the cost that exists within this series. Brad. Uh, as Josh mentioned, he, he has re-signed. It sounds like a one-year deal, uh, but I would assume that they're working on probably a longer extension to keep the guy who's been the most prolific winner in the history of Penske Racing there. Uh, Bubba Wallace has uh, multiple options on the table, including ownership of the 43 car. And uh, then HMS, the different things that are going on uh, there, uh, which could be affected by some of the other things that we discussed before. Um, first of all, I mean, Levine, it's been rumored for a while now that they were on, they were on thin ice. And uh, the announcement today, Bob Levine has sold uh, every, whatever he has left that isn't the cars um, uh, and whatever that doesn't have to do with Gibbs and Turd uh, to Spire uh, 
what did you think of that announcement, Josh, uh, this this afternoon uh, that uh, we're losing another independent owner in this sport and in a car that generally taken somewhat of a step forward here in the last couple of years? Yes, yeah, disappointing to see that um, that news today from Levine Racing, and you know it's another case of uh, Joe Gibbs Racing outpricing um, somebody that they were outsourcing their equipment to, because you know you saw a couple of years ago with Furniture Row they had um, started getting equipment from um, Joe Gibbs Racing, and you saw the performance that they had in 2017, 2016, 2018 that they put on. Um, to kind of establish themselves as one of the powers in the series. And they definitely were able to achieve that with um, with Joe Gibbs. And I guess um, Joe Gibbs continued to raise the price of that alliance. And it seems like maybe that's part of the problem here as well. And, you know, with 2020 being the pandemic year, um, it seems like that was a, a lot of the factor into the decision to sell as well. Um, and it seems like that was causing them and exasperating their uh, situation being on thin ice financially. And it's disappointing because we've seen, you know, last year with uh, De Benedetto kind of helping them um, perform better on a week to week basis. And they were getting, you know, technical help from Joe Gibbs, which also helped with that as well. And we saw them continue to perform with uh, Christopher Rebell this year. I mean, it seemed like at the beginning of the year and even going from the COVID return that maybe they had a lot of bad luck. But then, you know, the last couple of weeks, the last month, it seems like they've been able to improve their performance and now they're um, finishing better and you're starting to see the 95 car kind of be in the picture now in in these races, at least um, within the top 15 and, and um in various portions of the race and and seemed like that maybe they're beginning to um kind of turn the corner so to speak um relative to their uh performance um and what's expected of that team but now um all that's out of the window um once the season's over and um, that team will no longer exist uh, with uh that name and they'll get sold to somebody else um as you mentioned it might be the spire group and um you know, I gotta say, I think you know they've got to figure out a way to like um, for teams that are gonna align with Toyota and align with um, Joe Gibbs. They've got to figure out a way to make uh, the long-term partnership work. I mean, I don't know what that is. Um, there has to be some sort of model where both teams benefit, and then it doesn't just become Joe Gibbs absorbing. Um, a team or um, another team having to um, force themselves to be sold off to another team. Um, it's just an unfortunate deal. Um, but I um, would hope that maybe in the future that things like this can get prevented. Yeah, it's, uh, un- it's definitely unfortunate. Bob Levine uh, put in his, a lot of his own money, uh, over the years to go and make this thing happen, same way as Barney Visser paid it out of his own pocket. And when he ran with a Chevy, it was more cost-effective. Same way as when Bob Levine was running a Ford or a Chevy, it was more cost-effective. He made multiple veiled references to the cost basis model that exists with this sport. And uh, to me, I, I don't know about you, Josh, but there's this there's this it's not just covid that has has affected fields 
There used to be a time when 43 cars would start a cup race and Xfinity race. They'd have 36 trucks. And they would have overflow failing to qualify a lot of DNQs. You would have 50-plus cars at Xfinity and, and cup races. You would have 40-plus trucks. What... What are you doing, you know, in terms of the Daytona Beach Mafia to where the Xfinity Series, I mean, is definitely not a very viable product. I mean, uh, most of the teams have some sort of cup affiliation. The teams that don't have a cup affiliation run multiple cars. They can start in part one and run the other two. You know, DGM's an example in a sense of that. They run two legitimate cars. They have a third car. You know, the RSS racing joined up with Ryum, which is a shithole team. And they run, they're running two cars, but they're kind of separate. It, the, the, the rules package, it changes constantly. The cost basis of running in this sport, the lack of sponsorship and the fact that you have to go and get like six, seven, eight different sponsors to run a season. And, and we're not even talking about, you know, just some driver. Kevin Harvick, if he didn't have some of his personal sponsors from his day, days with him and Delana as uh, owner of their Xfinity program, Bush program, whatever it was back then, they probably, the four car wouldn't have full sponsorship. They, they don't have enough sponsorship to even cover a guy who's won over 50 races in a championship. Brad Keselowski's won 33 races in a championship and every major outside of the Daytona 500. He has problems with sponsorship. I mean, the fact of the matter is these are two of the best drivers in this sport. And they have issues with sponsorship for two of the biggest teams in the sport. If that's the case, what the hell's happening down on the bottom bottom third of this grid. There's a reason why Rick Ware, who's a noted cellar dweller and Spartan Parker and basically waste, has control or some semblance of his hands in eight cars right now. You know, he has three or four out of his own shop. You have Blowjob McLeod and... and Tommy Baldwin's cars, that's six. The Spire cars are connected to them. So once the 95 gets shifted over there, that's eight. You count the 15 car, which was the um, whatever they're called, premium. Obviously, it's a joke. They call it premium. Motorsports, which is Jay Robinson, another cellar dweller. So the fact is Rick Ware, in some way, shape, or form, has a control of one quarter of the field not not joe gibbs rick hendrick you know you know tony or roger penske not not that rick ware has nine cars in a cup field and virtually all of them suck if that's the case you have to go and address the cost basis issues. You know what Formula One has done? They realized they were going to lose teams. They had teams that are in the midfield that are going to lose teams. So why the hell aren't you addressing it? 
because NASCAR is fucking dumb and they don't know what the hell they're doing. And they, they haven't for years and they never will because you have, you have Lawn Dark playing dipshits like S.O.D. and Steve Phelps who ball lickers and they don't know they're paper pushers. They have no idea what performance or what, what putting a good race on is. Running Barney Visser out the door was criminal and typical of Reverend Gibbs playing the holier-than-thou thing. Levine going out of business isn't as shocking to me because they never really were that relevant. And Bob Levine, you know, he had a heart in it, but he really didn't. His business is his construction deal got nailed because of COVID. He's going to save the, the construction business or he's going to save his freaking cup car when Rob Kaufman's charter system doesn't work for him. The charter system has literally worked for two people, Rob Kaufman and Michael Walter. After that, the charter system is a waste of time. It's a joke. It doesn't do anything. It's no better than any of the other sim, whatever things they've had for ownership in this sport, which goes into something we'll get into. But charter system has no value. The cars, you just have to literally show up and drive around, which is what the Rick Ware cars do, and they get in the way. I mean, if Quinn Huff didn't exist, the Rick Ware cars would be the biggest problem that exists, or one of the biggest problems that exists in the sport. But Quinn Huff exists, and he sucks. And, and fundamentally, it's insulting some, to our intelligence that a guy who couldn't drive a hot nail through snow and he can't fucking do anything for his life is driving in a cup car and doesn't even get demerits, nothing. He should be, he's the mayor, mayor, Ma, or whatever, the Lord Mahavir of cup racing. He has no clue. He doesn't know how to look in the mirrors other than Garrett Smithley. He doesn't know how to look in the mirror. And, and he doesn't know how to hold a line like milk and donuts. He should get parked like milk and donuts because he blows. Uh, when you talk about, uh, we, I, I mentioned Brad uh, and his contract's only one-year deal and some of the issues he's having to make sure to maintain a ride. And he's one of the better drivers who's been in the last decade. Um, and also you talk in similarly going to Bubba Wallace and being offered ownership around 10 to 20% ownership in RPM from Andy Merstein. Um, I guess two questions. Uh, the viability of the Cup Series in general based on the current model, what do you feel like? Like what kind of percentage can happen? How, how viable is it as it stands right now relative to when they bring the new car? And then Brad's re-signing Ed Bubba Wallace. Where do you think he's going to end up? Yeah, you mean you talk about the viability of the series. Well, um, uh, hashtag viability. Uh, I, I don't know what the viability is. It's very hard to say. Like, you know, ever since this model came out, even like when I started, like started getting like understanding, I guess, like the politics of NASCAR, like a couple of years ago, like it's very hard to understand, like, um, you know, how much money is needed to run a team, like, like how much, you know, money do they need to be spending and taking in as it's 
for some reason I just have a hard time understanding it and it makes it hard to like really analyze these situations and to me like like what would solve it is like if they just put in like a um a salary cap similar to what they do in the NFL and they even what the um Formula One's doing with like their um their spending cap that they're going to be implementing here in 2021 or 2022. Uh, I feel like they've got to like put some type of cost cap where you can't spend more than this uh, and see how that works. And I feel like it would help drive the sponsorship costs down to where maybe the, it will be um, more, more affordable to get sponsors and they would be able to have maybe more full-time sponsors or, or at least, um, Maybe they would go back to having instead of having like three to four sponsors per race uh, or per season. Maybe they'll have like two sponsors per season. It'll be maybe more cheaper that way to do it like that. I'm I'm not sure, but then you know there's been pushback from other you know um, teams um, from get wanting a, a cost cap uh, in the series, and it's basically because they they want to have their their money and or you know, have their cake and eat it too. Is basically what it is, and. Uh, you know, you go back to even like um, when they entered the the charter system. I remember I was on a, a call for Sirius XM with Brian France, and I was like, "Do you guys um, ever like consider something else besides the charter system?" And you know, Brian France gave some no name answer, and then I talked to Matt Weaver, and Matt Weaver said that um, you know he said that was a good question, and he said you know like. Um, he feels like there should be, but obviously the teams are unwilling to open their books because that's really the only way they'd be able to en- enforce a, a spending cap like that is for everybody to open the books. And you know they're very, um, very secretive about that because they're probably going to be a lot of things that um, they find out that they're spending on that maybe they don't need to be spending on. And it just shows that um, there's a lot of problems with um, the excesses of racing and and. Uh, really, they've got to figure out a way to get back to the basics. And coming in, you know, even in 2022, when we get to this new car, like, um, I don't know, like, how much it affected um, when they switched to Gen 6, how it affected the ability to prepare cars for teams. But I imagine going to even a, another new car that um, there may be more problems. If they don't address the uh, the issues now, that it'll cause even more problems with um, ability to fund full races and and you have to wonder like um, even going into next year with a uh, silly season like how will that affect driver contracts going into 2022 if um, how will it be structured to maintain uh, viability f- um, for each individual individual team um, so that's going to be something to consider as well uh, and then going into like Bubba Wallace being offered team ownership which uh, I I find uh, very interesting to uh, you know if they're like they're basically offering him a piece of the team to to keep him, um, which could work out um, for him. It's basically betting on himself that um, he uh, gets gets more more of the pie um, if uh, they continue to perform well um, and if they're able to improve their status uh, from being a kind of a mid-tier team to being uh, maybe like one of those um, 10th to 16th teams if that's even possible for an RPM car at this point um, I guess that's kind of what they're betting on but I I have a feeling that um Bubba Wallace might actually end up elsewhere, and he may end up actually in the 42 car. Um, he's got McDonald's sponsorship. Um, 
that he's had on the 43 car. He's been kind of a partner with them. They have a McDonald's sponsorship, and um, that's where the majority of that money goes to. And obviously the future of the 42 car is up in the air with Matt Kenseth has only been signed to the end of 2020 as a fill-in for Kyle Larson. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if we saw Bubba Wallace um, – take down the offer from uh, the 43 and go um, to the 42 car. Um, I would definitely uh, think that could be the end up, uh, end up being the move. Um, not sure. Maybe he ends up staying at uh, Richard Petty and decides to stay loyal to the team that brought him to the cup series. And that has definitely had his back during this time. Um, yeah, if you, the thing you have to consider is like, is is this a lateral move going from that car to the other car, considering the performance of the 42 this year? Um, I don't know. I mean, you look at the history of the 42 with Kyle Larson, and they were able to perform uh, very well, and they were a championship contending team, um, a playoff contending team, uh, relative to the performance of um what what they've been able to do in the cup series and then you contrast that with Bubba Wallace's car that he's had the last two seasons and how they've um basically been um mid-tier or back of the pack and for the most part um and even though they are improving this year you wonder if maybe the 42 cars maybe that next step but we'll have to see how that plays out uh I'm not not sure what how that'll play out, but it'll be interesting to see. And even, even with Keselowski, like his one year deal, um, that maybe that's, uh, going to be the new structure for contracts going forward. Um, we'll have to see But maybe it's just like, like, um, a one year deal. And even though they didn't say it was an option, maybe there's, there's, um, some option clause or something, or they'll, um, renegotiate next year and come out with a, um, a better long-term deal than what they had, I guess, but we'll have to see how it all plays out. But this is definitely going to be one of the more interesting, um, silly seasons that we've had. It's become kind of lackluster the last couple of years. And I think maybe last year and um, was kind of interesting. But now I think this year with um, a lot more unknowns, it'll be um, more enticing to see how it plays out. Yeah, a lot of good points there, Josh. I, I we You go and think about Bubba and where he's been. Um, going back a decade, he was part of D for D uh, with Larson, and uh, the parallels have gone on with their careers. Uh, Larson ended up winning the KNN East title, uh, decided that he was Asian for the opportunity to run pavement, and um, Went and got that whole deal with Ganassi, ran some truck races, won a truck race, I think it was Rockingham, and uh, then he ran Xfinity for a couple of years, left his motor in the front stretch grandstands at Daytona, um, when James Busher won that race, uh, there, he won some, I think he won a Xfinity race or two before he went to, I think he won one before he went to, or no, he didn't win one, he, he ran one year in Xfinity, then he ran Cup took over the 42 from uh, Juan Pablo Montoya and ran there. And Bubba Wallace was in trucks for Kyle Busch or Toyota. We talk about how TRD doesn't uh, know how to run business. Toyota has been guilty of running sports out of business for years. This goes all the way back to when I first started watching racing uh, nearly 
or, or you know, 28 years ago, you know, 29 years ago, it's, there's, there, they don't, they have a great uh, methodology, um, they ruined sports, and now they've ruined NASCAR, or they've been in the process of ruining NASCAR, and it's a shame. Uh, but Bubba, he was running for Kyle Busch. Then they ran. They decided they didn't want him anymore. Went to Roush. They weren't really a great. They only had enough for one car, like Formula One. So that's why Busher did his thing. He almost beat Busher. Busher used him at, at Dover for an Xfinity win. Um, and after that, he never really was relevant for like a year and a half. Then uh, Busher goes and gets a call up. He goes and. Uh, probably gets uh, a run for a full seat, or what they say is a full season, but he ran, I think, I don't know, four months, and then they ran out of money. And he gets that opportunity with Richard Petty because of uh, Eric Almolo's back injury at Kansas uh, because of his serious wreck, and he did pretty darn well in the 43 car. Uh, I mean, compared to Eric Almolo, but just in general. And uh, since Stanley has been there, only finished second in Daytona 500. A couple other, two, three, got third in Indy. You know, he's had a few finishes. Um, politics uh, will definitely come into whether you like him or not. Um, cockiness will come into whether you like him or not. Um, but the fact of the matter is uh, the guy can drive. I don't care that he's the half black half white guy i don't care you like or don't like uh, his his the way he goes about business kid can drive a race car and if if freaking hendrick motorsports is looking at him getting ass he's looking at him then there's obvious validity to his talent along with his marketability that seemingly has come um post-COVID break with all the crap that's going on in our country and our society. Um, he's not staying at RPM. He's going to Ganassi uh, or he's going to the 48. Um, I don't think that's the 48. I don't think it's in play because there's somebody else that's now available. But if they decide to stay at full cars, but, you know, Bubba taking a 42, I think it's a great deal for him to get McDonald's to try to go and commit to like a full season. That'd be good too for the sport. First time since the 90s or since Bill Elliott, I mean, uh, running full season with McDonald's. That would actually be good. So it's been like 20 years. Uh, we will see though, uh, in terms of Bubba Wallace and Brad, one year deal uh, it, for cost basis for. Penske with the sponsorship the way things are possibility of Gumby moving up need to save money somewhere so even with a guy who red stature that's going to come um, yeah and then I, I think the last thing before we move on to the previews as we've ran a pretty long run here for about an hour and a half so um, what what do you look at in terms of HMS? Do they stay at four cars? If they stay at four cars, who's going to be in that in the 48? Um, are they going to go to three? Uh, and uh, what that looks like in terms of Hendrick Motorsports, who's been one of the most uh, prolific organizations since the late 80s. Uh, 
Um, I mean, it's crazy to think that they'll be back down to three teams. But um, what do you think is going to happen, Josh? Hey, why? Yeah, it's um, going to be interesting how that plays out. Um, when I kind of saw the rumor that they may shut down the 88 team, I was a little bit disappointed. You know, full disclosure, you know, I'm a uh, Dale Jr. fan, and um, that's been, you know, kind of my um, team to watch now that Jr.'s uh, retired. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see. And I, actually, uh, with a history lesson on that is um, the 88 team was originally the original 24 team um, that had Jeff Gordon until Rick Hendrick made the, the switch uh, in 2011 to get his team better with the 24 becoming the 88, the 24 becoming the five, and then the, the old five becoming the 24. And that's kind of how Hendrick has been since then. Um, so this would actually, if the 88 were to shut down, it would actually be the original 24 from 1992 that would be shutting down um, in terms of, you know, which, which uh, garage stall that that came from. But if it has to switch to uh, three teams to um, keep costs down and to uh, keep Alex Bowman in the fold, I guess that's what they'll have to do. And I guess um, it would be better for them to keep the 48 car um, and stay with Ally uh, as their sponsor um, rather than finding a new guy and, and, you know, having to run resources thin. But, you know, it's um, also possible that, Somebody like even Denny Hamlin might actually end up in the 48 car. I've heard rumors on the message boards and on uh, you know Facebook and Twitter that that might be a possibility. And even then, there was a photo that surfaced of Denny Hamlin, Jeff Gordon, and uh, uh, Rick Hendrick um, in a boat together. Um, that was on I saw that on Twitter, and uh, Bob Pockris did try to say that. Uh, Hendrick doesn't do his negotiations in public, but you also um, have to consider, like, even with that, like, maybe the deal is already done and they're trying to just wait for the right time to announce it or they're trying to figure out, like, what, um, uh, you know, what what else they need to do. But it's that that's a very interesting thing to see is um, someone from who is an impending free agent. out on the boat in public with a a rival team you know there's got to be something there you know that's not just like three friends hanging out together there's a reason why they're hanging out together uh so that if that ends up happening that would be very very interesting to see and kind of shocking because you know denny hamlin's been on a tear this year and he's been one of the better drivers at gibbs the last couple of years although he did kind of have um uh, a dry spell there's been a few years where he was not quite as good and it was clear that he was either the the third or fourth team at at gibbs but um even all that said um it, and the fact that he does have full uh fedex backing it would be very shocking to see him leave gibbs racing uh, but if it comes out where he's um going to be taking over the 48 um i guess that's how it has to be and given given how the driver pipeline at Gibbs is um, that probably frees up a ride for Christopher Bell uh, to take over the 11 if that happens, especially with uh, Levine shutting down. But we will see um, if that happens. And obviously, even with Bubba uh, taking um, his situation, if he gets in the 48, that's certainly a possibility too, but not really sure how that ends up happening. Um, but we'll have to see how it goes. It's 
going to be a very, very topsy-turvy, silly season, that I can say. Yeah, the Denny Hamlin one is one that I haven't heard, so that's uh, interesting. Uh, might have been some powder and some uh, balls involved there, too, but um, the fact that uh, I think most of the rumors involved younger drivers, the likes of Eric Jones, which I think is the guy, if they stay at four cars, I think Eric Jones is the guy because Joe Gibbs needs a space for Christopher Bell. Um, and Eric Jones, I think in a lot of ways, if he were to move away from Gibbs and get an opportunity with a decent team, which for whatever Hendrick has been the last few years, basically since about 2016, they're still in a relatively elite organization. So. You put Eric Jones in a in a Hendrick car with Cliff Daniels or insert Pucci Pier. Um, I I really think that would be something that Ally would pay off, would be very would benefit greatly from. And it's the same way as Chell Penswell benefited greatly from uh, their uh, a partnership with Joey Logano since he's been there. Um, so. I mean, if they re- reduce the three cars, it tells you that the biz- it's another example of why the business model doesn't work. It's a fucking joke. That even Fat Felon, who cried wolf about five Roush cars making the chase back in 2005, which basically installed a 14 limit, now he even he can't keep 14s out on the racetrack because the A8 is basically coming out of pocket, and he's a freaking multimillionaire. Even though he's a felon, um, he doesn't even want to fund a car. It tells you that it's not a viable business model, to uh, say the least. But with that, I mean, it's it's something. I, I mean, I'm 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 just gonna go and I was about to go and uh, I think I did it before, but I'm just gonna get this out quick again. The TRD has tried to ruin the sport. The way that JGR has run two independent owners out of the sport is fundamentally wrong. And the fact that this charter system has no value whatsoever proves once again that NASCAR doesn't have a clue of how to take care of the people that actually put in the money into the sport. And actually, there's revenue sharing. There's freaking leader circle in IndyCar. You have the you have the purse structure based on points accumulated in formula one there's something to be said about that it works in two of the biggest series in the world why they don't have that nascar is beyond me um the point that you made josh about they don't want to open the books i think is a big one because when you consider that richard childress racing is getting ppp loans it's because he's a freaking nra mark he's a conservative he votes for the guy who's in their office right now that's why he's getting those loans. It's why all the people with big businesses, the relative business, big businesses are getting the money, and people who actually are mom and pop shops get screwed. So that's part of the reason why we'll never see. They don't want to give up the the budgeting and everything with that. They don't want to show purses for races anymore. You you've got a fundamental problem with this sport, the way things are, and it's not going to get. Better. Um, they'll they'll abuse people like you and I, Josh, because we love the we love racing. But 
you're not getting casual things. Um, going to Formula One, going to the 70th anniversary uh, Grand Prix, do the softer tires uh, allow, I think you referenced it earlier, but do the softer tires allow for a possibility of a better race than what we saw on Sunday? And uh, why or why not? Yeah, I mean, I think if they do go with the softer tires, uh, I would like to say that you know, maybe we'll see drivers push the limit more, um, at least at the beginning of runs. And, and you know, with they won't have to worry about managing the tires for a long period of time. So they'll be kind of used to what, I guess, maybe what they're um, normally accustomed to in, in Formula 1. But we'll have to have to see how that goes. Uh, I mean, with the the switch to the softer compounds, if they if they do go in that direction, I mean, I think you'll obviously you'll still see Lewis Hamilton probably pull out the win and you know continue dominating this year in Formula One. But it could it could show a new wrinkle. I mean, maybe we might see Red Bull come up with a different strategy um, that favors uh, their car with uh softer tires um maybe we'll see uh botas uh even in the mercedes like they'll try to figure out a strategy to make sure he's always pushing the car uh with softer tires and you know they won't have to worry about um suffering a failure like they did on sunday for uh for both cars but i think um i think it would probably benefit the whole field um if they decide to go in that direction um certainly i think it will um i mean you'll have more pit stops obviously but i i think maybe it might be for the better um um but i'm not sure like if it'll you know like it will cause like more action or you know um more unknowns but certainly um i think that's what the teams want so i think they should probably go in that direction yeah the softer compounds i think for the last week they ran the whatever they have five dry compounds i think they ran c3 c4 and c5 and now they're gonna run one two and three so what was the soft tire will be the hard tire i i believe i'm i mean i'm going to amend that um it means probably, I mean, you talked about it, Josh, multiple pit stops, uh, which in turn will bring uh, more wide open racing, harder racing. Of course, the arrow wash is a big deal, but there's going to be the uh, land or like really hardcore uh, focused uh, racing to make sure that you can go and make gaps and also put yourself in a position to get a podium. Uh, Lewis definitely is a favorite, but I do feel like Alexander Albon uh, finally will make a breakthrough this weekend, uh, get up there and possibly get that first podium. Simon Rennie, the former um, team engineer, I believe, for uh, Vettel, is back, and uh, he, made his, uh, he made his return last week. A lot like uh, Cole Pern's going to make his return at Indianapolis at Connor Daly and ECR. Uh, so we will see what happens. Uh, I, I mentioned tracing point, but, you know, 
And I think it's more a case of Nico Hulkenberg, if he actually is able to run, uh, will be all right. I think last week kind of took the luster off the tracing points and their viability, um, the way that the Lance Stroll wasn't really able to keep uh, uh, his, his spot there. I think was a key issue, and it kind of shows potential skill and what he really is. Um, go to Michigan. There's two, uh, 312-mile uh, Cup Series races on Saturday and Sunday afternoon or early evening. It's Wildhawk West Coast, so for you West Coast fans that listen to the Grip Strip podcast, and you're in good shape. But um, otherwise, it's 312 miles, 156 laps. Uh, who are you looking for, Josh, uh, for wins this weekend? I guess we'll say, I'll put it this way. If you're talking about the big four, who do you think is the most likely to go and win? And then outside of the big four, uh, who do you think is the most uh capable of winning as well yeah i think if we're going for a big four pick um i probably would have to go with brad keselowski and the reason why i say that is because last year joey logano won the spring or i guess the early summer michigan race um and you know he thoroughly dominated that outing there, and I would expect that they would be able to kind of share notes, and maybe they'll come up with a similar setup where they'll be able to kind of go off of that and build off of what he did last year and give that to Keselowski. Uh, and so I, I think Pensky probably uh, might do pretty well overall as an organization. Um, and I think out of that, that'll help Keselowski kind of continue his recent hot streak. And I think for outside of the top four, I'm going to go actually, um, I'm going to reference back to auto club, um, this year when Alex Bowman won that race and they, they spanked the field there and led the most laps and they're clearly the best car. And yeah, they haven't been quite as good recently in the last couple of months, but, uh, California was a very similar track. Uh, to Michigan, the only difference being that Michigan's uh, repave and California has been repaved uh, probably ever. And I would look for somebody like him to potentially uh, go out and have some kind of similar performance. Um, and they probably will bring the same car that they had from before at, at uh, California and probably um, use the same baseline setup that they had and i would expect them to be a, a contender here um at least one of the michigan races here this weekend yeah those are both solid picks for sure i mean you pick i was gonna go with brad not just because of my bias but he's never won at michigan and, and it's one of those like he's wanted to win at home in a cup car since he started in the cup series a decade ago 
I don't know if he's ever been in a position better than he is in right now with two races in two days to possibly go and win uh, at, at his home racetrack. You're talking about Lewis winning seven races at the Silverstone, and that's a record for, I think, for Brad to go and win at Michigan. It would really catapult him even further than where he's at right now. Uh, in terms of outside of the top 12, I think I, I, I think I'm going to go with Matt DiBenedetto because the fact is his relative performance across his entire year, relative, not at him, has been top. You go and talk about Michigan and you look at, at uh, uh, the Matt DiBenedetto, I think it's an opportunity to Wood Brothers Racing and uh, that organization that, to get that first win for him and for number 100 for the organization um, would be huge. A big thing to get them locked into the playoff, get those playoff points. Um, I think that's a very high likelihood. Ford has been very uh, dominant in recent years at Michigan. Uh, we will see how that goes. I will go to the Truck Series race. It's uh, 200 miles uh, um, for the Truck Series on Friday. The Henry Ford Health System 200 uh, at uh, at Michigan. You have David Gravel, uh, defending Knoxville Nationals uh, champion will be uh, in the 24 truck for GMS. Our stand-up, David Reagan couldn't uh, make the field because of the draw. John Hunter will be in the race. Uh, who do you look for, Josh, in um, the truck series race on uh, Friday? Yeah, so I'm going to go with Ford here, but I'm not going to go with the older veterans in Matt Crafton and uh uh, Johnny Sauter. Instead, I'm going to go with Ben Rhodes. Ben Rhodes been, I think he's second in the standings right now in the Truck Series. Uh, uh, he's definitely hungry for a win. Uh, he hasn't won yet this year, and he came close at Las Vegas earlier in the season. Um, he's definitely done well uh, at Kansas, which is a recent repave. Kentucky, a recent repave, and Pocono, recently repaved. And even Charlotte, which, uh, relatively speaking, is re- recently repaved. And uh, I think that will carry over to Michigan. And um, it being more of a super speedway drafting track and also kind of a repave also, uh, I think he'll be a guy that you have to look out for. And he's... Uh, second the sayings right now and he's uh, as you said in uh four top fives eight top tens this year i think um he's probably due for a win here pretty soon and i think it'll be michigan yeah that's a good pick i mean you you look at that team and where they've been uh, gilland is a guy who has the talent potential toyota brought him up and uh Spit him out like a bad habit, but Gillen hasn't lost his skill or ability. Um, I think his trajectory his trajectory is going to front row motorsports and a cup car anyway. So I don't think anything he's done this year would go and just would go and deviate off of that. I I look at in terms of the truck series race. I look at Christian Eckes. I, I think I'm going to pick Christian Eckes 
as long as they're running on an oval, I think I'm going to pick Christian Eckes until he wins. Because even with his defects, some of his character defects and whatever, he's one of the best drivers, one of the best young drivers in the sport. He's somebody that, because of Toyota's stupidity, they may lose him to either Ford or Chevy. Uh, ton of talent, been running up front, points good. Unlike last year for the Kyle Busch trucks, at least he's going to make the playoffs. Lassard's not going to make the playoffs unless he has a miracle. It's basically the closest thing to a home race for him. So I, I look for Kyle Busch Motorsports to try to do something here on uh, Friday night. Uh, the last thing will be the uh, Xfinity Series race at Road America, another road course. And I think the great question is, outside of uh, Gumby and Austin Sindrick, and Chase Briscoe, who has the best chance of winning on Saturday, and who do you look for to actually take it down at Road America? Yeah, I'm going to have to go with A.J. Allmendinger being uh, somebody you're going to have to watch out for. He, obviously, he's a road course specialist. He's won at Road America before. Um, he's already won this year, obviously, Um but I think you're going to see him contend um, if he actually wins because, um, you know, he has had some issues with closing the deal um, in NASCAR in general. But I think he's definitely going to be a guy to look out for. And you know, we saw him at uh, Indianapolis Road Course this year. And, you know, he kind of threw the race away, sort of. And I think now he'll uh, go back and look uh, look at that and see what he did there and maybe he'll be able to focus on winning the race instead of trying to fight the uh, other guys um behind him um and maybe another guy that you would have to look for is justin algar and he's shown some ability on the road courses in the xfinity series um he's won i think at road america or at yeah, Sur- yeah. yeah in the past so uh, I would probably look out for him. You know, obviously he hasn't won uh, this year in in the series, but I I think uh, this is a good opportunity for him to try to pull out a victory. Um, and you know he's m- maybe one of the more underrated guys uh, in the Xfinity series when it comes to road course racing. But I think certainly um, this is an opportunity for him to try to get a win. Yeah, definitely two solid picks for sure. I mean, the, the all guyers won there before. He's run well at Montreal when they ran there. Uh, the standalone races, all guyers been able to do all, all right at uh, in the in the XNA series. And uh, I mean, AJ Allmendinger is definitely the chalk pick. He's going to be coming from tailback, as Rusty likes to say, uh, but. He's going to bring the bring the action as his uh, TV cohort uh, lead, if he loves to say. Um, I mean, there's some other interesting people. R.C. Anderson, who's an Indy road to Indy guy, uh, has been in the IndyCar series. He's going to be running the 07. You're going to have uh, you're going to have Jesse Wuji in this race for whatever reason. He'll cause a and, caution. Yeah, probably. Um, Andy Lally is going to be in the zero two car, so the 
our motorsports car. That'll be an interesting one to watch. Jade Buford, who, who um, I think runs TA2, um, he'll be in this in the JD Motorsports number six. And you've got Preston Pardis, son of former ARCA driver Dan Pardis, driving the DGM 36 with Cal with the uh, Cowboy Starlin as the crew chief. And, and uh, you got Scott Heckard, professional road racer. Um, you have LeBay in the 90 and uh, Josh Williams here, um, the regular DGM drivers. Uh, yeah, that's a uh, deal there. We'll, we'll see what happens in terms of those outside of Sindrick uh, and Chase Briscoe. Um, I think one of them road course ringers, depending on the weather, has a really good shot. Uh, but if it was a regular, I would, I'll actually go with Justin Ailey. He has experience in TA2. He's run a lot of road racing. Uh, the Colic team has been a lot better. I think he's... Uh, with that, we're at the end of the uh, GSP. I'll let you go, Josh. I know you got to run uh, iRacing with the 87 mod. So uh, tell us about that and uh, tell us about where we can find you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a very entertaining race last night. So kind of how that kind of happened. Um, I was scrolling on Twitter and then I saw um, Spider from Barstool. He's the guy that does their rubbing racing um, account and said they're going to race 87 uh, Winston Cup at uh, Talladega. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do that. Why not? It sounds like fun. So I went and got on and um, immediately found out just how hard it is to actually drive a 1987 uh, Ford Thunderbird um, <clears throat> at uh, Talladega. And, you know, I was getting loose in the middle of the corner. I, I wasn't sure how that was going to be. I knew it was going to um, gonna have some lifting but i didn't know i was gonna um have to counter steer um you know opposite lock going into um turn three and even even coming off the trioval a little bit and um in practice i spun out uh coming off the trioval and it was uh, luckily i was able to um not damage the car or hit anybody else uh and in, in the race, uh, they they crashed on lap one. I was toward the kind of towards the back of the field, and uh, I still got caught up in it. I was trying to uh, make my way around it without um, losing too many positions, and I was trying to just um, see if I could you know pass some, you know or get ahead of some people um, in that. But then I didn't, and then I ended up having to use one of my fast repairs there. And then I got into it again um, later on, and you know I fell back a couple laps and then um i guess i was able to get a lucky or not a lucky dog but the the wave around and then eventually uh on one of the restarts i guess uh some somebody was like not lined up properly or they were on the, like um on the other side of the track trying to make it around back to the the uh where the field was and and but then we took the green and then i racing scored uh me and some other guys as um passing under yellow and really like it was just somebody else was just out of place and i guess i could have asked for the um the penalty or to get the black flag removed but then i don't know i guess i just didn't for some reason um 
uh, and then I got disqualified. But it seemed like it was an entertaining race overall. I mean, it was um, it was an exhibition race. It didn't count for anything. Um, it was unofficial and um, doesn't hurt my safety rating or anything, which is good because, I mean, I wrecked twice, and that would have hurt me definitely. But uh, I, I think it ended up with, like, 8X, which is uh, iRacing's uh, scoring system for incidents, and that's how they kind of base your um, – uh, your safety rating um, and ability to move on or get demoted to um, a, a license class. Um, and I'm trying to get up, so I'm glad that that didn't count for anything. But it was fun uh, overall. I mean, uh, you can, if you want to see that race, uh, just go on Twitch and look up Rubbins Racing uh, for uh, the Barstool guys. I'm not, not trying to p- uh, promote them or anything, but if you just want to see um, my name pop up, uh, you can check that out. Um, but you can also just, if you want to just see me on social media, uh, you can just hit me up on Twitter um, at JP Huffine. Um, and if you want to hit me up on iRacing, you'll just find me at uh, Joshua Huffine. Um, you know, just hit me up on one of those two platforms if you're trying to race or just want to um, banter or whatever. All right. Yeah, Josh is uh, picking it up and trying to advance his way through the, uh, the uh, what has basically become a buzzsaw which is the NASCAR and oval pavement uh, um, iRacing career and community. So um, obviously the GSP, we need to figure out a way to get a paint scheme with the the colors of the GSP and put the logo on the hood. That would be an idea. I think that's something we need to to look at for future reference. But um, for me, I'm at Philip G. Matthews uh, on Twitter. I'm really active there. Uh, I also uh, basically use Facebook to go and share memories and maybe check on a couple pages, and that's about it. But I'm on Twitter at Philip G. Matthew. The show is uh, the Grip Strip Pod on Twitter. We're working on. Um, other uh, places and other options to get the show out there. Um, we're on uh, Apple Podcasts and uh, also Podbean. And uh, you can uh, follow us there. Give us a like, listen, let us know what you want to hear. Next week's show, uh, we will have a guest. Um, we will have uh, Truck Series driver uh, Dawson Cram on next week's episode of the uh, Grip Strip Podcast. So uh, for that, for Josh, my name's Phil. Um, God bless. Be safe. Wear a mask. Wash hands. And uh, take care of one another.